we're continuing our uncertain series. This is week three of uh, the story of Joseph we're looking at in the Old Testament and book of Genesis that allows uh, us to see some truths that God uh, had Moses to write down and to draft into words. And if you haven't read Joseph's story so far, I encourage you to do so and go read Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50 uh, in the Old Testament. It's the first book of the Bible, and the Bible, the book's name is Genesis. And the word Genesis means the beginnings. So it helps us to see where we came from, what God accomplished through humans, even from the beginning. And I believe if you take the whole Bible and go from Genesis to Revelation, you'll see picture after picture, story after story of God's redemptive power to take human beings and to do great things through them. That went the buzz. There's definitely no buzz now. So, the current state of affairs that we are in as the world, and we started out in week one saying that uh, the current state of affairs that we're in, and if there's one word that we could uh, label uh, what we're going through at this point in time, the word uncertain is that word. But also this series uh, on the screen, it says that we're clinging to hope because hope is the promises of not things that we haven't seen yet, but we're hopeful for. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that. So in understanding Joseph's story, I want us to see that um, if God chose to have Moses to write down 25% of the beginnings, and he paints those beginnings through words of the story of Joseph, uh, we can understand that it must be some important factors in this, and there must be some things here that we need to learn. And these truths are something that we've been speaking about. And last two weeks, just looking at how, in the beginning, it, it, it's all based off of dreams. And the, the story in those 13 chapters is, is talking about dreams. And uh, we've went over four of them so far, and today we're going to go over two more. But how the, the beginning of Joseph's life began with dreams, and he had dreams that God painted for him to show him his future. And if you haven't had dreams yet, we encouraged you in week one to begin to ask God for dreams and ask God for visions because in Acts chapter 2, he says that that's what will happen in the last days, that God will give us dreams and visions. And it's not just male or female either because some people in the Old Testament thought it would only be males uh, that would... Uh, have these dreams or visions, but then it says also upon my handmaidens will I pour out my spirit in those days in Acts chapter 2. So women expect to dream the dreams of God, and he can paint your future for you. And we talked about that uh, the story of Stephen, he gives the cliff note version of the, of the whole story of Joseph in, in a very small portion in Acts um, chapter 7 that he told 
Uh, so if you don't have time to read Genesis 37 through 50, you can read Acts chapter 7 and just a few short uh, beginning verses of that chapter and see what all 13 uh, chapters in Genesis is about because they give the cliff note version for you cheaters out there. Look at your neighbor and ask them if they're a cheater. You a cheater? Well, Pastor, I don't have time to read 13 chapters. Won't you do it for me? It's kind of the way we wo operate in the world, isn't it? We allow others to do the work and we reap the benefits. But that's okay. So either way, there's a lot to learn from these 13 chapters and even the Cliff Note version that Stephen talked about was people that needed to hear that. But today, week one, we talked about Joseph's two dreams that he had. So he had two different dreams. He explained them to his brothers. He had, he had another dream. He explained that to his mom and dad and his brothers. Uh, and it was a dream that was for Joseph that he shared with somebody else that maybe he should have kept close to his heart for a while, but he was young and didn't understand uh, the things of God. He had a great dad. He had great parents. He had uh, some good siblings, but sometimes jealousy and envy uh, got caught up in that. Last week we talked about the next two dreams that Joseph in, encountered in this story was the dream of the cupbearer and the baker while he was in prison. And Joseph had a pretty good beginning when he was at home, but then we talked about in week one how his brother sold him into slavery. And wherever you've been the chosen one of your family and you've got a coat of many collars and your parents are favoring you over your siblings. The next thing you know, your siblings are going to become jealous, and these siblings become so jealous that they sold their brother into slavery. And that's a culture shock for Joseph as he's enduring this slave trade that he's in, the convoy, and heading towards Egypt, a place that he didn't want to go. He probably heard some bad stories about some things that had happened in Egypt, but there he goes along this journey, and these slave owners are taking him, slave traders are taking him along this journey, and they take him into Egypt, and they put him up on an auction block, and an Egyptian purchases Joseph. So here he is, a slave in Egypt, and that's a pretty bad situation. And for us, what I've tried to paint for us in this series is that we can't look at situations or what we're facing and let them define us. We have to be intentional about saying, no, God's plan is better than that for me. And yes, I may be enduring this for a season, but God's going to get me through this. And I want to encourage you in this room today and those watching online that God is with us in all situations. And there's some ministers out there that preach a gospel where that everything is always going to be peaches and rosy and you're never going to face anything and God's just always going to keep you on top of the woodpile. But in reality, anybody that's been through life or that you've been a Christian very long, you know that there are seasons of mountains and valleys. And usually the mountaintop experiences are one that we like to cherish. But when we get in the valley, it's when the rubber meets the road, some would say, and it's where our faith gets tried and tested. 
And in those situations, we have to determine, am I going to cling to hope or am I going to give up and give in and throw in the towel and say, this is too hard, I can't go on any longer. So Joseph, on this journey now, he's a slave. He had been the chosen sibling. Now he's a slave in a foreign land. He does the right thing, and we've talked about that the last couple weeks, that he continues to be Joseph and do the things that he was taught to do, the things that he knows was right. And as he stands up for the right thing, sometimes that'll get you in trouble. So on your job site, there could be places and situations you come into where that you got morals, you got an understanding of right and wrong. And you're given a situation where that something is presented to you and you have to choose, am I going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? And Christians need to be on the side of the right. We need to be doing the right thing, the correct things to be doing. So Joseph continues to do that. Next thing you know, Potiphar's wife, we talked about that. She tried to uh, trick him into sleeping with her and becoming all this mess. And then Joseph says no. She lies on him. And now he's not only a slave, now he's thrown into prison. So it sounds like this situation's getting worse. And you may be sitting in this room and saying, Pastor, you're speaking to what I've been facing and what I've been going through. That it seems like the harder I go, the farther I go, the worse things get. That troublesome times seem like they never give up. They never relent. They never let up. And it seems like it's just an onslaught of bad after bad after bad after bad. But I'm here to promise you today, if you will continue to do the right thing, God is going to bring you through it. God is going to bring you out of those situations where that you don't have to face in eternity all those things. you got to cling to hope. You have to. We have to as a, a church here together. We have to cling together to hope. Because hope is going to bring us eternity to live in heaven with Jesus forever. And we talked about this in in slight terms of giving different situations that Joseph was facing in these situations that he went through these rankings according to business that we know. And the first week was the CIO, the chief information officer. And last week we talked about him being a chief operations officer as he was operating uh, Pharaoh's house, or uh, Potiphar's house. But now those are the dreams that we've talked about this far. So we got Joseph's two dreams, his brothers bowing to him, his family bowing to him. Last week we talked about the cupbearer and the baker having a dream apiece. And then this week we're going to go to basically the most important person on the planet at that time in governance was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was an individual that was over all of Egypt, and he had the power, the resources, and it would basically be in terms of today as being like the President of the United States. We believe that this is a blessed land, that we are people that were blessed to be born here in America. How many feels the blessings of just being an American? Because you can look around the world and see those that are hurting, those that are without. and No matter how bad we face it here, I really believe that we've still got it better than most around the world. 
Mackenzie's going to come and talk to us a little bit later about our missionaries, and she's going to bring a certain couple to us and, and, and explain some things about them, the parishes. And it's the individuals that we bought the beds for back at Christmas time for the orphans over in Indonesia. But Pharaoh is this individual, and he's got all the power, all the authority, and even in the midst of that, it doesn't matter how blessed you are with material things, how many knows they can't buy you peace that Leslie was singing about a minute ago? He had everything he wanted, everything he desired. He, he could just send a delegation to go get it and bring it back to him. There was nothing off limits for Pharaoh. He was the most powerful person on the planet. But even though he's the most powerful person on the planet, doesn't mean he's the most powerful person in the universe. Can somebody say amen? Our God is greater. Right? Our God is higher. The songs that Leslie sings. And as we think about those things, that God is greater than any human being on this planet. Yes, we can have power. Yes, we can have authority. Yes, we can have things on this planet and have material things. But those material things will not bring you peace. They will not bring you safety or security. So Pharaoh's here, and he's, he's going to bed at night, and he's laying down in his comfortable mattresses. And I just imagine the safety and security of living in a, in a great building that had been built in Egypt and being the most powerful person on the planet that he probably laid down in his bed thinking all is well. And even in their culture, he was looked to as a god. Most Egyptians believed that the Pharaoh was God, that he could make it rain or not rain, that he could make the sun shine or not shine, that he had power over everything. But here he lays in his bed with all this self-imposed power that he thought he had, and he lays down and goes to sleep. And when he goes to sleep, he dreams two dreams. So he's laying there, and the next thing you know, these dreams become a reality while he's sleeping. Has anybody ever dreamed a dream, and it was so real that you, you woke up and you thought, did that really happen or not? It's just something that happens, and you're like, wow, that... That really must have happened. And then you find out, no, it was just a dream. I believe these two dreams that was given by God to Pharaoh were that way. It's prior to video. It's prior to all the luxuries that we have today. But I can just imagine the scenes changing out, even in color, as he's dreaming these dreams. And the first dream he has is these two different sets of cows, and there's these seven fat cows show up, and he's sitting here watching this play out, and he's watching these fat cows uh, out in the field and, and taking up all the food and just out there enjoying the day. And then he sees these seven skinny cows come out and devour the seven fat cows. And in Egypt, they had plenty. It was a land of plenty. They had all the resources. And everything was under his power. And I can imagine 
how frightful that must have been to the most powerful man on the planet seeing something that he was used to get devoured by something that he wasn't used to seeing. So he didn't understand that dream. And the next dream shows up and he sees this grain grow out of the ground and it's, it's plentiful, it's, it's full. And then he sees this scorched stalk overtake the full stalk. Anybody grow up raising tobacco? Anybody in here ever cut tobacco? There's a couple. You bunch of young folks, what are you doing anyway? How, how are you going to know how to get through life if you never cut tobacco? <laughs> if you never had to house it, if you've never had to struggle through that. Dad, a couple years ago, wanted to teach that lesson to my nieces, so he grew two rows of tobacco right there in his garden so that they would have to go out there and use his old tobacco knife and cut it and get tobacco sticks out of the barn and cut it and put it on the, on the stick and then take it and house it to teach them some lessons. But it's kind of weird how that you see on a field that out in the center of the field, I don't understand how this works, but in a tobacco field, you'll see out in the center of the field and you go through there and you get the big, fat, ugly, green tobacco worms. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you've never seen one, look it up. Just Google it because Google won't lie to you and it'll tell you. Get you a good picture of a big, fat, green tobacco worm and Walk through the center of that tobacco patch, and you'll pick those. Looks like a big grub worm, but about that long. And you, you pull them off the leaf, and you smack them on the ground and bust them. It's pretty fun. Fun for me, not fun for the worm. They say the early bird gets the worm, but the worm must have been awake too, crawling around on the ground for the worm to get or the bird to get him. So I don't know. Both of them's awake, so it's better off to be the bird. But you go through there and clean all these big tobacco worms off and kill them to make sure that your plants were healthy because those tobacco worms would eat leaves and eat the stalk and eat the stem and it would cause the plant to wither so you had to take care of them and maintain these and you break the tops out of them at a certain point throughout the year to cause it to grow even fuller the leaves so that the nutrients wasn't gathered up in the top so there's always parts of tobacco farming that I think about in this story right here that I can see this, but it's always crazy to me how that in the center rows, it's green, it's plush, it's just, I don't know, just healthy looking. But then you get on the outside rows, and you get over to the next to the edge, and they won't grow as good. Little bitty old withered stalks, and a lot of them didn't even have a stalk big enough that you could even spear. And it's amazing to me how, I listened to a sermon this past week by Chris Hodges, a youth pastor down in Alabama, and he was talking about how important it is for us to be together and how that we have to be cautious to not get too close to the outside and get left behind because that's where the lion will devour is one of the antelope on the outside of the pack. So we need to stay in the center and when we get on the outside it seems like we could wither and die and I think about that in the story of Joseph that I can't imagine being a teenage kid and taken in and sold by my brother into slavery and going and living in slavery for a long time and then the next thing you know turn around and being this person that was thrown into a prison for something I didn't even do 
And when we get separated from the fold, the opportunity for the enemy to tear us apart is ever-present. But even though Joseph was alone, he still had somebody with him, didn't he? God never left Joseph. And as I think about that, in terms of this story that we need to cling to hope, and sometimes that hope is not individuals. I think we as humans are guilty of thinking sometimes our hope is in our human beings that are surrounding us. And I'm not telling you to get separated from the fold. I'm telling you to stay in the fold of the church. But you can be in the church and be around a lot of people, but yet lose hope. Keep your hope in God. Because I'm promising you this right now. The church will let you down, but God never will. Your pastor can let you down, but God never will. Keep your hope in him, and he will never fail you. Sure, you might end up in a situation where it seems like you're in a bad place, and it even gets worse. But if you keep your eyes on him, he is the prize, and he will not fail you. So Pharaoh has this other dream with this grain, and in this, we see this, that yes, and he can't figure it out, and he's got all these powerful people, the people that's supposed to be able to interpret dreams, and he calls them in, and he wakes up terrified because he has never seen a time in his life where that he saw things go bad, Pharaoh. And he calls in these people to come in and interpret his dreams, and he asks them, what, what's the meaning of this dream? You, I, I pay you on staff to interpret this dream, and the, all these individuals come, the magicians, and all these ones come, and they can't explain anything about what's going on. Don't ask the world for God kind of answers because they don't have them. So the next thing you know, he's terrified and these are just haunting him and he, these dreams won't go away and they just keep haunting him and he, he goes out and he asks, and he, tell me the interpretation of this dream. I need to know what this means. He's troubled. He's perplexed. He's bothered. And finally, the cupbearer that had been in prison with Joseph, that Joseph interpreted his dreams, speaks up and said, Oh, Pharaoh, I was once in prison a few years ago. And Pharaoh had to know this because he was the one to put him there. And he said, While I was there, there was a young Hebrew, and he interpreted a dream that I had, and everything he said to me and the baker come to pass. Maybe you need to get this young guy out of prison and bring him here to interpret your dreams. This had to be a fearful moment for the cupbearer to speak up like that and say, you need an, a person from another land, a foreign land, a slave that's in prison is going to have your answers. Sometimes we think only successful people are godly people. How many knows we need to open up our mind and allow God to use whoever he wishes? And sometimes if we look down upon disdain upon that homeless guy out on the street or that homeless lady out on the street corner, and maybe we're facing some things that if we would just humble ourselves just a little bit and lower our ego, 
that God could use them to speak to us. And Pharaoh obliges and says, okay, well, go get this little Hebrew and bring him out of the prison and bring him up here, and I want him to interpret my dreams. And as he begins to do this, it says in Genesis chapter 40, I believe it is, that they go and get um, Joseph out of the prison cell, Potiphar does, and Potiphar gets him and brings him up, and they cut his hair, and they clean him up, and they try to make him presentable. And he walks in to Pharaoh's presence. He won't bow to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh explains these two dreams, and the next thing you know, Joseph says, and, and Pharaoh asks him, can you interpret these dreams? And Joseph says this. He says, I cannot, but God can. Sometimes we give people our opinions when we should be telling them what God can do. Not what I think. What if we would begin to quote scripture to those that we know that are facing situations like the Pharaoh here? And as he begins to explain these things, he, he tells Pharaoh, no, I don't have the answers, but God does. And this was a fearful thing because he was talking to a person that thought he was God. And he explains seven fat cows are seven years of plenty. The seven skinny cows are seven years of famine. The stalk that is full is seven years of plenty. The scorched grain is seven years of famine. And he tells Pharaoh, he says, what's getting ready to happen is God is going to bring a famine upon the land. And you should prepare the seven years of plenty and store things up for the seven years of bad. And Pharaoh is so awestruck by what was just told to him that he says, this is the truth. I know it's true. So I'm going to appoint you, Joseph, over the entire operation of all of Egypt. And the Bible says that Joseph built barns, that he taxed every individual in Egypt, and they had to save 20% of what was grown during these seven good years that was going to sustain them for the next seven bad years. Saving 20% is a big task when we're used to hoarding it off on ourselves. Most businesses today, what will meet you somewhere around 4 or 5%. You can get you a 401k or something, they'll set it up, and they'll say, yeah, you can put this much in it, and we'll meet you this much. So even if you do the 5%, you're just saving 10%. This was double that. Saving 20% is a big task, and it feels like it's painful, and it feels like it's probably not doable. But if God says do it, 
guess what you better do? You better do it. So what if this picture that Joseph painted to Pharaoh was something, what if Pharaoh would have took the opposite route? What if he just said, get away from me, Hebrew. You're nothing but a slave. You're nothing but a prisoner. Get away from me. I don't want this interpretation. The seven years of famine would have been bad. But because he heeded God, God allowed plenty to be in the storehouses so that during the famine times that even the rest of the world was fed off that 20% that they saved. And as Pharaoh allows Joseph to be in control of all this, can you imagine it? And it says that even he, Joseph had become, and he'd become clothed like an Egyptian, and he was somebody that really his appearance didn't even look like a Hebrew any longer, didn't look like a slave any longer, didn't look like a prisoner any longer. Now he looks like an Egyptian. But in the midst of these seven bad years that came, as he's storing up all these good years, the next thing you know, the original dream that Joseph had, his brothers come from Israel, the nation of Israel today. They come from there, and they travel down to Egypt because they heard that there's grain in the storehouses in Egypt. And they go down into Egypt to purchase some. And as they come into Egypt, they come in and they bring some gold that they had collected. They, they had some material things that was good, but how many knows gold? You can't eat that. They was ready to trade their gold for some material good known as food. And they come into Egypt to buy some food. And as they get there, they have no idea when they come into Egypt to buy this that the person that they're standing before that they kneel down on the ground and beg for some food is their brother. These same brothers that sold their little brother into slavery are now bowing before him begging for food. The first dream Joseph dreamed was a dream where that his brothers bowed before him. And they said, you're foolish. The elder is never going to bow to the younger. It's not the way it is here on earth. But God's kingdom is different than our kingdoms. And here it becomes a reality. And Joseph is there. And he could have told them no. He could have sent them back. But he's inquiring when they sit there. And he begins to ask them questions as they're bowing before him. And he's trying to get some answers out of them. And he says, where do you come from? Do you where's your father? Is there any more of you? And they didn't bring their baby brother with them named Benjamin. He had a good name, didn't he? Because the father loved Benjamin now that Joseph's gone. So here he sits, and they're, they're before him, and they're begging, and they're, they're just wanting food, and he's asking all these questions, and they have no idea. Why is he asking us all these questions? Are they trying to trip us up? They don't even like Egyptians. It would be like you or me going down and begging Mexico for some food when we're the one in the famine. And Joseph doesn't let it be known who he is. And he tells them they're lying to him and they, he puts them up and he, he gets them over to the side and he doesn't give them the food and now they're afraid that because their father had sent him to come and get this food, now they're fearful of what, what's this guy going to do? What's this Egyptian going to do to us? They have no clue that it's really their brother. And here, as this is happening, what are we going to do? And they're all perplexed. What's, got, what's dad going to do now that we are here? And, and what if the Egyptian master here that we're bowing before, what if he ends up capturing us? What if he makes us slaves? And what if he makes us prisoners? 
The same thing that they had done to their brother, they're afraid of their self. And they're sitting here in the midst of this situation. And the next day, as he gets them and he tells them, you know, one of you has got to stay here because you told me you had a baby brother and I'm going to send you back and one of you has to stay here with me. And you're to go back and get your little brother and bring him to us to prove that everything you're saying is true. But I'm going to give you some food to take with you to keep your dad alive until you get back. So these brothers leave and one of the brothers stays and he's put into slavery in Egypt. The other brothers go home and they tell their dad, we have to go back and we've got to take Benjamin with us. And the dad says, no, Joseph's already dead. You're not taking Benjamin. And the brothers ends up begging their dad, there, there's no way. Simeon's still down there. There's no way, God, dad, if, if, if we don't go back, we're going to lose that brother too. And they finally convince their dad to allow Benjamin to go with them and they take him back with them to Egypt when they run out of food and and they take him back down there. And this time Joseph meets him again. They say, is this your baby brother? Yes, this is him. And his name is Benjamin. And whenever Joseph sees his brother Benjamin, it's the one that he's closest to, it says that he began to weep. The Bible says he began to weep because he saw his baby brother. And he turns from them, goes to the side, and he just weeps because he had now met all 11 of his brothers. And he saw that they was all still healthy and alive. Then it says that as he's here at this feast with his 12 brothers that he walks back out and he takes off his Egyptian garb and he explains to his brothers, I am Joseph, the one that you sold to slavery. And the beautiful part about this story of Joseph is this, that he doesn't hold it against his brothers for the things they had done wrong to him. There is something powerful about forgiveness there's something powerful if we would forgive those that wrong us. If we wouldn't hold every grudge and everything that's ever been done wrong to us, if we wouldn't hold grudges over those individuals, what if we would let go and what if it would be freeing and how liberating would that be if we would give up on holding things back and not allowing God to move and saying, I'm not going to do that. But Joseph doesn't take that path. He takes the right path, just like every other point in this story. It says his brothers weep with him. And they tell him, go back and get your dad and bring him here to Egypt with you. And we're going to live here forever in Egypt. And I'll take care of you because we have stored enough food to keep us through this drought. Joseph's lifelong story is painting the picture that God is faithful even in hard times. And I don't know about you, but I feel like if there's anything that we're in the midst of, it feels like troubled times, it feels like every day that you wake up that you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. It seems like you don't really know what's the news going to say tomorrow. It feels like the world is falling apart, doesn't it? It feels shaky. We can't even keep up with gas prices from day to day. Utility prices are raising. All these things. This is signs of bad times. Are you going to put your trust in what you're capable of doing? Are you going to cling to hope of the eternal Father that can take care of you even in bad times? This is decisions we have to make. 
I'm not predicting that bad times are coming. But I know throughout history, there's always been good times and there's always been bad times. And it seems like I've had a lot of good times. My life has been easy compared to my forefathers, previous generations. It makes me want to say this for today's sermon. This is what I want us to get to. When Joseph ends up in power, does he change? When he's the CEO of the entire world operations, does he change? He does not. He's still Joseph. I want to encourage you in this place today. Stay true to being you. You don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like your neighbor. Be you. God created you as an individual. Your fingerprints are different for a reason. He doesn't want clones. He's not a cookie-cutter God where he makes all of us the same. Our giftings and callings are different. But we're to use our giftings and do the right thing. If we learn anything from the story of Joseph, I want us to learn this. Be true to you in all situations. Never stop being you. God is asking you. He's pleading with you. Do the right thing. Is anybody guilty of doing the wrong things? Three or four? Everybody else's perfection? Oh, Rose is waving her hand. She wants to make sure it's me, right? So I'm ending with this today, and Leslie, if you'll play something. There's a movie that was put out several years ago of the story of Joseph, and you can find it. It's on YouTube, and I encourage you to look it up. It's done really well. And I've watched it a couple times. It's just an amazing story, this life of Joseph. He doesn't succumb to his surroundings. He doesn't succumb to situations and troubled times. He continues to do the right thing. And so many times he could have chosen to do the wrong thing. He could have held back and said, Pharaoh, you think you're God? I'm not going to talk to you about godly things. You don't deserve it. I hope and pray that you go through seven years of famine, Egypt. I'm a prisoner in, in your territory. He didn't do that. He done the right thing. Probably even when he didn't want to. And I wrote this down today for here at the altar call that there's people in this room that I believe like God is going to going to ask some hard things of us. Joseph helped others with their dreams. And by him helping them with their dreams made his dreams become a reality. 
There's some people in the room today, I know that you've had dreams and you've got ambitions and you've got so many young people sitting here and your whole life is before you and you're just wondering what, what is that going to be? What's that going to hold? It's really a dream. It's something that you're desiring to happen in your future. book of Psalms it says I'm young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen their seed, seed begging for bread and I'm not saying I've been through it all but I'm in the middle of my life more than likely and I know this that the more I help others the more blessing comes upon me better to give than receive Jesus said sometimes when we help others with their dreams God might make it the pathway that our dreams can become a reality so whatever your dreams are today stop living for yourself and stop live, start living to serve others there's people in our community that needs this church to be in their corner Prisons are not only physical. So this story of Joseph being in a physical prison could be us living in a mental prison. There's not a whole lot of square footage in here. But your mind says in Romans that a carnal mind is enmity with God means hatred our carnal minds if we think through what we want what I desire and we stay so caught up in here and we don't listen to what God is saying here we're basically prisoners in our own mind and there's so many verses that talk about this but 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says this, every, and every arrogant obstacle that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obey Christ. We have to take our thoughts captive. 2 Timothy 2, 26 said, and they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap where they are held captive to do his will. And as long as we're human beings and we have a heartbeat and have blood flow and have neurological functions and all those things. Our brain is active and working. So you've got two options. You can either be the prisoner of your brain or you can be the warden of your brain. Take every thought captive. I believe God is asking us today do the right thing and to listen to him you want to be the prisoner or you want to be the warden won't you bow your head and close your eyes with me if you will
Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this place that you've given us to assemble together. God, we thank you for your word. You say that it will establish our goings. God, I pray today as we continue this uncertain series, God, that as there are people sitting here today that are living in the midst of uncertainty, that that are troubled and perplexed by their future, that they don't know what you're calling them to do. God, that there's some here that is so troubled in their mind that these verses are real that says, in Timothy it tells us that the devil will take us captive in our mind. God, I pray today that you liberate every person sitting in this room. Lord, that you would clear their mind, that you would clear their hearts. Lord, for those that are bound by addictions. Lord, that those that are perplexed in in such a way that it just seems like they cannot... cannot dream because of their mind is so cluttered. God, I pray today that you would give them a clean slate in this place. That the situations that they've been looking to, the the world that they're living in, that they're so troubled, that they're so caught up in what this world is doing to us, the troubles that we face. God, I pray that you bring hope alive God, that they would cling to it in a way that they never have before. God, that they would look to you as their eternal hope and destiny of making heaven their home. Lord, as situations come, that they could continue to do the right thing in bad times. Give them wisdom. Give them knowledge. Lord, let every word that's ever been spoken in a church service come alive within them. Holy Spirit, that you would cause us to bring those things to remembrance that we've been taught before. For those that's sitting here and thinking, I'm so hopeless, I'm so helpless. They've come here looking for you, God, to meet them in this place. So, Father, we created this place for you to meet them for them to meet you as they turn their hearts to you as they're sitting here praying prayers clear my mind God let this prayer that the pastor is preaching be real in my life as they pray those prayers God I pray that you would just clean in this place today purify in this place today renew in this place today refresh in this place today Lord, let a peace that passes all understanding just rest over this place.
Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. God, I know that you do not condemn, but you only convict. Nobody looking around. Everyone's back. Your head bowed, your eyes closed. simple question if you're sitting in this place today and you know that you've been a prisoner in your own mind and you're sick and tired of the devil and his devices and you're ready to transfer and be the warden and not the prisoner but you're going to take captive every thought you're asking for God's help to do just that I want you to lift your hand and say that's me pastor that's me thank you for that hand amen 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 hands everywhere father you know their needs we know your word is true and you said that you would supply every need that we have according to Christ Jesus So, Father, I pray for those that are asking for this transition, God, that you would just continue this week to rest upon them. God, that you would just work with them. Lord, that you would teach us to be humble. Lord, that we would lay down pride. Lord, that they could walk in a newness of life. Lord, that old things would be passed away and all things would become new. Help them to walk in the newness of life. Help them to do the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen.